And we're back. Back from Barcelona, back from Malta, from Vegas, and from Manchester City Football Club. More on that last one another time, maybe. Producer Ellie has also been to Turkey on holiday. Welcome back, Ellie. Thank you. But now it's heads down for the long, cold, wintry march to ice, albeit via Sunny Sigma. With one eye on the horizon, we have a couple of newish ventures to explore in this episode, plus a change of direction as we talk boxing. But first up, I chat to two familiar faces about their exciting new project, as Christopher Palka and Chris Ash explain the strategy behind Tequity Ventures and, after a space of eye-catching recent deals, what it means for companies in the iGaming space. Next, Patrick Nordwall, CEO of rapidly grown sports betting provider Parlay Bay, tells Dan Snook more about what it's taken to get this far and how the company is cutting through the noise in a crowded space. Finally, to the main event. Top of the bill is a conversation around next week's much-anticipated SBC Boxing Championship, which takes place in London on Friday, November the 11th. In the red corner is Daniel Beard of Party Solutions, and in the blue, although they're not actually fighting each other, is Rob Dowling of Connexus Group. Rob shares his very personal motivation behind this fundraising venture for Oliver's Wish Foundation, while Daniel reflects on his commitment, in the name of charity, to being repeatedly punched in the face. All of that after Ellie plays our little theme tune on her little guitar. Cue the music. So, to Tequity Ventures. I asked Christopher Palka and Chris Ash what it is and what it's doing for their partners. So, Christoph, starting with you, I, I guess you both got history in the industry. They'll want to know what Tequity Ventures is what it does, and why it's here. So the company has two main branches. First branch is we basically license modularized software that can be used to build any kind of B2B business. And uh, due to its modularity, you can cherry pick and only take the modules that you need and want to your business. So no matter if you want to build slot games, live casino table games, content aggregation network, promo tools or meta layers, pretty much any kind of B2B business, we can uh, give you the the software, the foundation to, to build in and run it. The second leg of the company is Venture Builder. What it is about is basically we take your idea, we recruit the team, we set up processes, we build the product. And unlike the software house, the team is owned by the client. The ambition is that within one, two years, the team is fully self-sufficient and fully independent and they can continue running the product on their own. The mission and the philosophy behind the company is that we want to give you the tools and the foundation to enable partners to create any kind of exciting and innovative B2B products for iGaming industry. What's the client view of that? What's what, 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 what problems are they trying to solve by coming to you? Because there's a lot of great tech ideas. There's a lot of uh, native technological solutions, technical solutions. What are the benefits for the client's of taking these modules and looking at your solutions? I think the sort of easiest answer to that is that where there's a lot of innovation still coming out in the gaming industry, there's a lot of things that you don't need to reinvent the wheel on. And there's expertise out there that you can draw on, which means that you can focus on your own IP or your own product. And so why would you risk or 
create your, the management overhead or the cost of redoing things that have been done extremely well already when you could just concentrate on your new business and your new product and plug in the layer that you know is works and you have confidence on because it's been built by people who have built these things before. And from the first time that I engaged with you guys and started reading about these products, it felt almost like you were reaching into the clients. You were kind of looking into them going, these are your pain points. These are the problems we're going to try and solve for you. It seems like the, the plan is to leave clients free to focus on the things that they should be focusing on. Is that right? Exactly. This is what we want to solve here. We want to give the clients a solid foundation so they can focus on their unique ideas and unique IP. It's very risky to build uh, new platforms from scratch. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of resources. So we try to fast track this process and de-risk it because we base it on proven platform, proven foundation. There's a lot of stuff you need to have in order to run iGaming business. You need to have integrations, you need to have back office, you need to have reporting, you need to have infrastructure. And as, as Chris mentioned once, partners and investors don't care about your back office. They only care about it when it doesn't work. By giving this foundation, we want our partners to focus on their unique ideas because this is all that matters for them. However, as I said, they also need to have this basic stuff in place. This is what we're solving here. For developers, for games makers who have brilliant ideas and creatives on board, you're, you're facilitating their creativity, really. You're providing infrastructure that frees them up. I've seen this phrase in some of your materials, infrastructure as a service. Obviously, people are familiar with software as a service. Well-established phrase now. Infrastructure as a service seems that much deeper like you are trying to take as much pain or as much difficulty away from the client as possible. Are you riding a trend? Is this something that we've seen in other areas or other fields? Is it something we can see more of, do you think? I think that there's a lot of legacy systems out there in e-gaming that rely on long time frames and long cycles to get going and get installations running. And actually, the reality is these days, you know, everything's in the cloud, can run in the cloud very quickly, which means you can spin it up anywhere in the globe. And I think one of the things that really impressed me was just how fast the Tecuity system can be installed in Google in anywhere in the world. I think it's literally half an hour and you're up and running. That is a good selling point for, for the platform, the speed with which it can be flexed up and down and the scalability. I even saw 20 minutes mentioned in something, Christoph. That's true. I think that's definitely a trend in the IT industry in, the, in general. Usually software providers provide only software, but that leaves you with a significant gap because uh, you need to install it. You need to create a you know, scalable and reliable infrastructure. Again, it takes time. And the infrastructure as code solution is like a template to create new cloud infrastructure in a fully automated way and also to manage it in a fully automated way. It takes approximately 20 minutes and a single press of a button to have full-fledged production-ready environment. And we're not talking about demo environment. We're talking about production-ready setup, including DDoS protection, including backups, including high availability and, and all that stuff. We also, because of running it in the cloud, we take advantages of all the benefits it gives us, like auto-scalability, so the system can scale up automatically when you have traffic peak on a Friday evening. For example, support zero downtime deployment, so you can deploy a new game or new feature without affecting your existing players and it's super cost efficient so basic setup is approximately 350 euro a month of course with traffic it goes up but it's still really cost efficient i would also add that it took a lot of time to tweak everything to 
tweak resources, tweak parameters to reach maximum efficiency while keeping the cost under control. You will have caught people's attention when you teamed up with Avatar UX for promotion at a recent event, and that highlighted a specific thing that you can do. And I just wonder how that promo element came about and how the collaboration worked with Avatar. Yeah, so Promotus these days is a standard part of a provider's offering. We knew that we wanted to have it in our platform as well. Initially, we thought, okay, let's do leaderboard, let's do random price drop and a, a couple of other tools. But we realized it doesn't really follow our philosophy of giving you the tools but not building the actual IP. We thought, how about creating SDK or the engine that takes away all the complexity around creating promo tools, you know, APIs, caching, concurrency, storing the database, all that. So you can focus on creating the most kick-ass promo tools yourself. And this is what we showcased at SBC Barcelona. We celebrated our deal announcement together with Avatar UX. So we created the little leaderboard using our promo SDK engine, and it took only 50 lines of code to create it. So it, it shows how easy and how fast you can be using our technology. What's been the market response more, more widely? There's been huge amounts of interest so far. We're in dialogue with a number of parties about the technology. Obviously, the sales cycle requires building a level of trust with the business as well. And I think that the real positive things, the model and the approach is that, you know, this isn't about trying to sell some software so that you can then sell services later and get the hooks in there this is about genuinely giving a very high value service and allowing people to give birth to their ideas uh, and assisting with the transition and allowing them to take over their projects at the speed that suits them and i think that's a really mature offering actually which has gone down really well yeah, I can only add that, uh, you know, being a relatively young company, we, we've managed to secure three clients. We have Avatar UX, which is a slot studio. We have Beyond Play, which is a multiplayer layer on top of existing content. And we have Parlay Bay, which is doing sports betting games. And that also shows that these are pretty different products. And I think it also shows the versatility of our platform and uh, how different B2B products we can help with. That is a very important point as well, that perhaps the most obvious kind of customer is a game developer looking to make the next step and have their own platform take control of their own technology stack. But, you know, the platform's already in use with three very differing types of e-gaming B2B businesses. So, you know, it shows the flexibility. Wrapping up then and looking ahead, 2023, what's, what does that look like for... Tequity or Tequity Ventures. What are your expectations and what can we expect from you? We are in dialogue now with a number of potential new partnerships. We're looking forward to working with the ones that feel right, that are the right fit, that we feel confident we're able to contribute to a successful project for the partner. Because, you know, early stages of a business, you want to make sure that every relationship you enter into has got an extremely high chance of success because that's what's going to get you the case studies and demonstrate to the industry that this is an extremely worthwhile partner to engage with. The technology has been proven in practice because uh, it's al already live and operational. Onboarding so far was, was pretty smooth experience. So we're ready to scale it up and I hope we will be able to announce a couple of new deals because there's a lot of exciting prospects in the pipeline.
Next up, Al Dan sat down with Patrick Nordwall, the CEO of Parley Bay, and he began by asking Patrick to explain what Parley Bay is offering in a crowded betting space. We want to make sports betting something which is you know engaging and creating immersive uh, experience for players i mean if, if you look into a, a sports book today and it's like walking into an excel sheet and it can be you know scary for for some players you you either need to be you know a stats nerd or very very interested in sports to actually understand what's happening there what we are, want to do is to take you know sports betting to the next level and make it you know accessible to a broader player base. How do we do that then? We are, we are using, you know, micro betting in play sports as a foundation. And then we game design that and wrap them into different uh, game formats. That, that's basically, you know, the essence of what we are creating here. I would say basically what we are doing is we are creating a new vertical in the iGaming space which sits, I think, somewhere, you know, between social, casino and, and sports betting. So it's, you know, it's a blend of, of everything. You've positioned yourself in that space due to current trends in the market. Is, is, is this where you see betters heading for their entertainment? I would absolutely say that. I mean, our, you know, main uh, foundation when we started this, you know, is basically... I think three and a half years back in time when we started to discuss this, we wanted to make it, you know, more accessible and fun and engaging, you know, quick markets, uh, you know, instant gratifications, you know, taking in that angle. And, and from that, you know, everything has, you know, evolved to, to the position where we are right now. And I think regarding trends in the industry, I mean, everybody is speaking about making sports betting more accessible and also taking the next step in micro betting. You mentioned the amount of work that you've put into getting to where you are now. It's been over two years of extensive research and development, I believe. You've recently signed a string of many partnerships with a lot of operators globally. And by the time I think our listeners will be listening to this, you may well have gone live with your very first partner. Taking into account that journey and you know now you're at the stage of players can actually get their hands on your games. What does that mean to the Parley Bay team to reach this point? I mean, of course, this is a huge milestone for the whole team and the, the people investing in the company. We're really happy to have been able to reach this uh, milestone, you know, after, I think it's even more than, you know, the time uh, than you, you described here. I mean, we started, you know, the R&D process, you know, three and a half, four years back in time. And then we started, you know, developing pretty exactly two years back in time when we, we thought that we had the, the recipe. But... It has been a challenging journey because, again, as, as I mentioned earlier, we are creating something new in the iGaming space here, and nobody has really done it the way we are doing. That is very fun and engaging, you know, to, to embark on that journey, but also sometimes, you know, complex because you can't really look to, to others, I mean, how they solve different problems because this is, again, something completely new. Obviously, the, the, the sports betting space is, is, is well established, as we know, and it's, it's very crowded, as again, as, as, I'm, as I'm sure many of us know. The, the Parlay Bay proposition, the, the games that you've designed, you know, the, the journey that you mentioned that you've been on, what, what exactly does that bring to the landscape? And how, how do you think your products are, are going to be able to cut through the noise, as it were? What makes you so different? The way we package everything in, you know, different game types uh, with, with different, you know, rules 
attributes and condition and characteristics, adding a smooth uh, UI and UX experience on top of that. And, and again, make it you know, intuitive and an easy access for, for a broader player base. I mean, independent if you're you know, casino savvy, social game savvy, or, or sports betting savvy. I mean, this is something that the broader player base can engage in. Because it's so easy to understand, easy to play, quick. So I believe we, we are you know, addressing everybody here. And, and it's also an element of casual play. So you, you can engage for you know, a couple of minutes and then you can you know, leave and do something else. So it's, it's fast in that sense. So that's what we are creating. And I think that's appealing for the operator base out there. And also, again, I mean, everybody is you know, wanting to have you know, something new in the industry, no matter what. I mean, looking back at, uh, for instance, what Evolution Gaming managed to create you know, back in the days, I mean, adding the live element to casino play. There was, was new at that time. And we are creating a new thing in sports betting. I'm assuming that this is something that you, yourselves and your R&D team have, have seen out there in the industry, that the players are looking for this perhaps low stake, high turnaround, very, very rapid style of play. That seems to be a theme we're seeing a, a, among a lot of verticals. And I'm assuming that that's the way that sports betting is going as well. Do, do you expect there to be a greater shift towards that style of entertainment? I believe so. I mean, the, the in-play sports betting, which we have, I mean, it's, it's micro betting, you know, in-play all our games and I think I mean that trend has you know just accelerated you know since it was introduced to sports betting uh, the last uh, couple of years so, so everything is about, about in play now and, and we are taking it to the, the next level do you see that happening across all the markets? Is, is this a global shift or are there certain markets that you think are perhaps a little bit more ready for this than others? Without giving away too much, of course. Yeah, I would say hard to say, but I mean, uh, I think in, in, in Asia, I mean, in play is pretty big. And also looking now on, you know, everybody's looking at North America. And following a very successful launch, is there anything sort of extra on top of your existing products that you've got in the pipeline that players can look forward to? Yeah, I mean, we have a list of things and the roadmap that we have is it's never ending, which is it's really good. What we are planning to do is, of course, to add more sports. And we are pretty, you know, thorough and strict in terms, I mean, what feed providers we are using. I mean, it needs to be, you know, close to the source and, you know, the best data in terms of details and criminality and, and so on. But we are adding more sports to the portfolio and then, of course, more, you know, game frameworks. And on top of that, which we will intru- introduce, I believe it's going to be in summertime or, or directly after summertime next year is what we call Parley Powers, which is a promo tool package with, you know, the purpose to for, for you know, player acquisition and player retention for operators with, 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 you know, features like, you know, cash drops, free bets, early bird bonuses, and yeah, much more. I mean, basically something which was introduced into the casino space, you know, uh, uh, five, six years back in time. And it you know, very commonly used, but I haven't really seen it, you know, in, in the sports betting arena. It all sounds very exciting. Wish you obviously the very best of luck with everything. I'm looking forward to seeing more, more new launches with more partners. In the meantime, thank you very much for joining us, Patrick. Thank you very much. Nice to be here.
Finally, Daniel Beard and Rob Dowling chat to iGaming FM about next week's SBC Boxing Championship. I began by asking Daniel about the event itself and why choose boxing for this very special fundraiser. We're here to talk about the SBC Boxing Championship and, and the reasons behind it. It's coming up pretty soon. It was scheduled for quite a long time and talked about for a long time. So now we're nearly here. When is it? Where is it? Why are we doing it? Okay, so it is on the 11th of November. It's at the Hilton Park Lane. It is sold out coincidentally as well, which is great. And the reason for it is to raise money for various charities, one of them being Oliver's Wish Foundation, which I'll let Rob talk about. Yeah, thank you, Dan. The Oliver's Wish Foundation is a charitable foundation that was set up by my family and I in memory of my son, Oliver Dowling, who very tragically passed away in his sleep in the autumn of 2015. The Oliver's Wish Foundation, as Dan mentioned, is aiming to raise as much money as possible for a range of charities that are focused on the support of children and young people. What happened to Oliver is what they call sudden unexplained death in childhood, or SUDC for short. That is basically the sudden and unexpected death of a child. It can be anything between one and the age of 18. It's it's uh, similar to SIDS uh, that you have in in babies, obviously, of a, of a younger age. But it's, it's unfortunately, it's one of these horrible medical phenomenons which remains are very much unexplained and, and unable, unable to be, I guess, predicted that the, the risks uh, that, that lead to it. And there's no current understanding. As I say, it's a, it's a category of death that eludes scientific understanding today. And approximately 40 children a year die uh, of SUDC just in the UK alone. And that's basically more than traffic accidents, fires or drowning put together. So it's not something that, that people are, are, are that aware of as a result. And obviously it only affects a certain amount of families. But uh, as a result, it, it, it struggles for funding in terms of uh, research. So it's, it's obviously a cause and a charity that's very close to our hearts. And, and, and we're very keen to, to support SUDC UK, which is actually making great inroads into solving or certainly starting to figure out some of the underlying factors which may lead to that. In addition to SUDC UK, we also, for the last few years, have been supporting a fantastic children's hospice in West Sussex called Chestnut Tree House Children's Hospice. They currently care for 300 children with life-limiting illnesses. It's an amazing place. It gets very little government funding. I think only 7% of its funding comes from the government. It costs them four million a year to, to run the place. And, and, and we've basically dedicated a lot of effort and, and uh, a lot of the, the charitable focus of the foundation has gone to supporting that fantastic institution. And then thirdly, for this event, we're looking to supply money into the Cystic Fibrosis Trust, which is, uh, again, another fabulous charity. One of our, our, our good friends, a good mutual friend of mine, Daniels, and one of the fellow fighters, uh, a chap called Michael Brady, many people in the industry will know from Bede. He has a very close family member that has, uh, that has, has fortunately been um, struggling with his condition for, for many years. So we've decided to support that charity as well. So we're hopeful that obviously it's come out of something very sad in terms of what happened to Oliver, but this, we're hoping this is going to be a very positive and happy event. And, and we're hoping that uh, the industry is going to dig deep and raise an awful lot of money for, for these fantastic causes. I mean, happy in the sense that 12 people are going to get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah was i'm wondering how you came up with those 12 names was there a vote <laughs> certain people have definitely drawn a bigger crowd than others in all honesty the the fighters sort of that came forward i came up with the idea i think three years ago rob and i discussed you know should we look to do an inaugural boxing event and how did you land on that is out of interest because obviously kind of white collar boxing events have become in vogue somewhat over the last decade or so obviously a backseat during COVID. Your volunteers get punched in the face, Daniel. I mean, that's what's happening here, right? Yeah. <laughs> By a, quite a big man as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think it came about because if you remember the Olympics and cycling post-Olympics, and then you had Anthony Joshua 
So everybody wanted to get into boxing um, and white collar boxing became safer, you know, uh, more, more, more acceptable, I guess. And I knew within my friendship group, within our, our industry, which is one big friendship group, as you know, uh, a lot of people that were, were very keen to put themselves through a challenge. They knew they could sell tables and obviously they know Rob. And they understand uh, the importance of, of raising money for these charities. So it was quite easy to find the fighters. It's been not so easy getting them to do 10 weeks of training again. But look, we're there now. It'll be a huge event. About that preparation, that weeks of training. Is this like when you do like a couch to 5K and there's something you can follow to get you in shape? So obviously, people were going to be entertained. They want to raise money anyway, right? It's obviously a cause that people will support, obviously. But for those who are getting into the ring... It's another thing, right? It's a physical risk. It's a challenge. What's the process there? What have you been doing personally? And, you know, in my money's on Tony Pasco. I have to be honest with you. I think he's, uh, I think if it was a fight to the death, my money would be on him. But um, what have you been doing to prepare, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, Tony's a bit like the scene out of the Holy Grail where he'll bite your ankle. <laughs> <laughs> um, the boys have done a 10-week fight camp. So we have a proper boxing coach who runs London White Collar uh, events. It's been three times a week. And that's been a sparring with some of his fighters on other cards, which has been interesting. I got knocked out two weeks ago, so that was fun. And personally, uh, there's a there's a boxing academy in East London that I've been going to for another three times. So I'm boxing six times a week. Some of the others went to Vegas and chose a different route for G2E, so... <laughs> <laughs> I was in Vegas. Those guys are not prepared. We are not prepared. But are you in the best shape of your life now, Daniel, because of this? Well, no, I'd say the second best shape. The best shape I had to be in was the prerequisite of getting a job at Pentasia 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're not fighting, Rob. I'm not. No, no. As I say, I think what you say, I love another fighter, but um, no, I've got nothing but <laughs> nothing but admiration for what the guys are doing. It's an amazing effort. I mean, the, the, the amount of effort they're all putting themselves through to get ready for this, and then to put themselves out there in front of what's going to be a you know 600 strong crowd being streamed live over media as well. There's a lot of eyeballs on them, so I think uh, it's hats off, and, and I think it's going to be incredibly entertaining as a viewer, as a viewer, <laughs> particularly. <yeah. laughs> um, I mean, obviously, you've got you've got the support of Erasmus and Paul and the team at SBC, and that's invaluable, really, because obviously that's a huge machine in both in terms of delivery and also um, coverage. I mean, uh, people are going to presumably get to see some of this afterwards, right? They're going to get to see some of the action. They're going to be recording. And I think I like, obviously, yeah, I'd love to, you know, to take the opportunity to thank Rasmus and SBC and Paul and Stuart and the guys that, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do this without them. You know, Rasmus and I have been, you know, friends in the industry for 20 years. And, and, and obviously and I've watched him develop his career as I've been building my businesses. We've got a lot of fondness for one another, a lot of admiration for what he's built in SBC, but you're right. The machine that SBC is bringing has made a lot of this possible. Nothing but gratitude for that. Just want to bring it back to the foundation for a moment, if we can, before I get caught up in the excitement of watching Daniel box. Rob, what, there's obviously a lot of activities, a lot of things that you do. What's the nature? What's the program like? Is there something else people can look out for in the next six months? Is there somewhere they can go or a page they can go to? Because obviously you're going to get, as we say, a lot of support out of SBC, a lot of coverage from them, and they will push the fundraising side of it. But more generally, when we share this podcast, when we talk to people, what more can we tell them about Oliver's Wish? Where can we direct them? Um, what can what can they expect and what can they do? That's very kind of you. Yeah, so look, we have a website. It's called oliverswish.org.uk. If people want to go there, you can obviously look at some of the activities and some of the programs that we've supported. We're working with these charities. There's other charities that we've supported. We've also actually 
specifically uh, raise money for individual children that have had issues that, that have needed specialist operations and treatments that weren't available in the NHS, which, which we're very proud of. So there's a lot going on. I think if people want to get involved, we have the Oliver's Army. So basically, we're, we're always looking for people to sign up and do a triathlon or run off couch to 5k or a 10k. We've got People have run ultras, people have done 100 mile races. Ultimately, you know, people, if people sign up and are willing to get involved and, and, and so many friends from the industry and outside have, have done this, you know, we've got a full set of stash, you know, so Oliver has a very distinctive set of colors, which are all rainbow colored jerseys that we give and cycling kits which were reflective of, of Ollie's favourite jumper, basically, back in the day. So it's nice. I mean, a lot of you know, when we're out running races now and doing events like the London Marathon, people know who Oliver's Wish is. It's starting to build a bit of a following. So, um, yeah, look, so if people want to get involved, go to the website. Please donate if you can. These charities really do need the, our help, and particularly after COVID, when a lot of them really suffered in terms of fundraising. But at the end of the day, you know, whether you want to bake cakes, have a run, do a swim, whatever you know we're, we're happy to raise money and for you to join oliver's army and there's a real community there if people want to get involved thanks rob i'm sure that people will respond positively to that as they have to the promotion of this event and um, daniel if i can just finish on you um i looked at the card and you're you're number six about number six Does that mean you're top of the build is that what that means who are you fighting and do you fancy your chances uh i'm fighting a wall of a man called Fasili lekovic uh, who I think he's at 120 kilos right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know you, but you don't look like you're 120 kg. Probably near 80, I would suggest. Uh, for you. Yeah, well, I'm 106. Oh, really? Oh, okay, okay. You're not doing too bad then. Six foot four and 106 kilos. Uh, I have a rugby background, so I'm hoping that makes me slightly robust. He's actually been fantastic. Do I think I'll win? Yes. Do I mind if I don't? No, not at all. You know, it, it's for it's for the the moment, and it's for the event. So. Thanks again to all contributors to this episode, to Christoph and Chris, to Patrick, and to Daniel and Rob. And best of luck to all of those going the extra mile or two and fighting in the SBC Boxing Championship. Please remember to support Oliver's Wish by contributing via the link in the episode bio. Thanks for listening, and of course, thanks too to Ellie for her exquisite guitar playing. We'll see you at Sigma. We'll look out for you in the now traditional end-of-day fight to the death to get a taxi back into town. Good luck, everyone.